They say when you are safe, it's, it's not because of the absence of danger, it's because of the presence of the Lord. Well, this morning we are very privileged to have Dr. Bernie Power to come and share with us this very important topic on understanding the conflict in Israel and Palestine. And I've heard him present this topic before over webinar and in other places, and it was very good. So we've invited him this morning to come and share with us. Dr. Bernie Power has been studying Islam and interacting with a Muslim for more than 40 years. And he spent about more than 20 years in uh, Pakistan, Oman, Jordan, and Yemen. Um, and every Saturday, if you go to the city, is it every Saturday? Every Saturday, if you go to the city on Swanson Street, is it? Swanson Street, you'll see there's a little store there. Uh, he will be there. He'll be talking to Muslim. So he's not just an academia, uh, but he's a practitioner. He do this every week, talking to uh, Muslim and evangelizing them. And so, and currently he lectures in Melbourne School of Theology in Islam, Islamic Studies, and I've, I've studied under him before. And we have engaged him to come here uh, to share on uh, Islam, engaging Islam for a one-day workshop before. And I remember we went to the mosque at uh, George Street um, and having a Q&A session with some of the, the leaders of that mosque. So, uh, Bernie, welcome. And we are so glad to have you. Come and share with us. He's going to leave us some about maybe uh, 10 minutes towards the end for Q&A. Um, so we'll, we'll go from there. Come. It's great to be with you today. It's very encouraging. And thanks so much for Sarah for your singing and for Megan for your leading. It's been a real privilege to be here. I was, um, uh, had a phone call from a school uh, just after the stuff started happening in Israel and Palestine. And they said, um, we'd like you to come and speak to our school assembly. I said, yeah. They said, um, it's the high school assembly, about 500 kids. I said, but a couple of conditions. Um, we've got a big age range from the year 7s to the year 12, so there'll be 11-year-olds there, so it's got to be simple enough for them to understand. There'll be 18-year-olds who go to university next year. It's got to be complex enough to challenge them. <laughs> they said, we don't want you to say anything controversial. <laughs> and you've got 15 minutes. Well, Pastor Glenn said I can have a few more minutes than that. So um, I want to talk about this issue because it's just such an important one and we see it on our news every night. It's been uh, taken over the whole international headlines over these last couple of months, 100 days uh, since it happened. So we'll be talking about the... Uh, Yep, that's working. The, the, the Middle East, that part of the world very strategically located, it's right in the midst of Europe and Asia and Africa. And we can see the, uh, uh, the Red Sea where, and the Suez Canal where most, a fair proportion of the world's trade goes through there is right next door to it. And I want to explain what's happening there and why it's happening, what's going on. Now, it's difficult to talk about this because Christians don't agree on, on what actually occurred, uh, what is occurring there. About uh, 4,000 years ago, God spoke to a man named Abraham. And he said to Abraham, go to a land I'm going to show you and I will give that land to you and to your descendants forever. And eventually Abraham did. He went to the land, it was called Canaan. 
and after some time his descendants took possession of that land after they drove out the earlier inhabitants. The Canaanites and Philistines had been involved in all kinds of sin, such as child sacrifice, and God is holy and God judges sin. So he used the people of Israel, Abraham's descendants, to go in and to drive them out and take possession of the land. And this is where Christians divide into two groups. This is why it's a very difficult one to talk about. For group one, uh, they say, possessing the land was the result of God's promise um, that they would live there forever. And we have plenty of verses to talk about this. This land belongs to Israel, and you can see some of the verses that I've put up there. But a second group says, well, yes, possessing the land was a result of God's promise, but promises have conditions. And God gave them a condition. And the condition was, if you do good, you will stay in the land. But if you disobey, the land will vomit you out as it vomited out the previous inhabitants. And again, they've got a whole range of verses that they'll uh, use to back up that view. And actually, this is what happened. The uh, people of Israel, the Jews, the chosen people, didn't obey God. They worshipped idols and false gods from the peoples around them, from the peoples um, they'd driven out of the land. And so God used the armies of foreign countries. Uh, initially, the people from Assyria, which was then the world power at that time, and then the Babylonians, who replaced them, to come into Israel and to destroy the beautiful temple that had been built and take the Israelites, who were later called the Jews, out of the land of Israel into exile. So it looked like they had lost the land. Group one says, whoops, sorry, I didn't press that soon enough. Group one says, yes, that, that happened, but God also promised that they would return. And they did return. After 70 years, they came back into the land. Group two says, yes, they did return, but then Christ came. He was the promised Messiah, and Christ does all that Israel was supposed to do. He was the one, all the promises that we find in the Old Testament, Jesus comes uh, to fulfill them. Group one says, yes, it's true, Jesus did come, but there were also promises about the rebuilding of the temple and that the Jews would return to the land and that all Israel would be saved. And again, you can see that there's verses up there in the back box. By the way, I'll make these slides available to people afterwards if you want to go and check these. Group one goes, group two goes and says, no, the Bible describes Jesus as the end of the law. He uh, it describes the church as the Israel of God and Christians as the true temple. And it says that the old covenant is now obsolete. It actually uses that word in, in Hebrews 8. Group 1 says, you're re engaging in replacement theology. You're simply replacing the Old Testament Jews with the New Testament Christians. And group 2 replies, no, this isn't replacement theology, it's fulfillment theology. Because Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law or the, uh, and the prophets, but to fulfill them, to complete them. And Paul writes, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So you can see we've got these two views, both with very strongly entrenched views, and we could go on for days talking about these. 
Here's the names of these two views in case you're interested in looking them up afterwards. Group one is called Dispensationalism or Christian Zionism and group two is called Covenant Theology. And there are good scholars, good biblical scholars on both sides. So we see there um, uh, Professor Daryl Bock, who's probably one of the, um, the world's top New Testament scholars, would take a dispensationalist view. And my colleague, Dr. Mark Jury, would also hold that view. And on the other side, you've got um, Bishop, uh, Bishop N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, um, a New Testament scholar from the UK. He would be a covenant theologian and Colin Chapman, who also speaks into this field. So it's not just a simple thing, that or that, but you've got both perspectives that are being put there. And, and I think what's important to recognise is that as Bible-believing godly Christians, which would jump, yep, they take different, different sides, but they can disagree and still be friends. They can still serve and worship together. Christians can disagree without being disagreeable. And I think that's really important. And we've probably got both of those perspectives uh, presented even here today. But one thing that Christians do agree on is the history of Israel. Many nations occupied the land of Israel at different times, and here is a list of them. It's just been a, a kind of a series of people coming in, overrunning the land, being displaced by the next people. And throughout the centuries, there have been dozens of um, nations that have ruled the land. And in the time of Jesus, it was the Romans. They had come, 46 BC, they'd come and occupied the land. Um, the temple had been rebuilt um, um, after Solomon's temple was destroyed. It had been rebuilt by King Herod. Um, and the Romans eventually came and destroyed that. And it was a Roman emperor named Hadrian who renamed the land of Israel as Palestine because he wanted to get rid of its Jewish history. Remember the Palestinians or the Philistines were a group that had been there. They were one of the groups that was driven out by the Israelites under God's judgment. And then this Roman emperor decides, I'm going to bring back that old name and I'm going to call, call the people by that name. But eventually, uh, the Romans became Christian with the conversion of Constantine. And so Israel became a Christian-ruled land for several centuries. And many churches were built there. I've been to Israel four times. I've taken groups there. And we can go and visit all the ancient churches that have been there for, for centuries. But in 637, um, 600 years after Jesus, Muslims invaded and conquered Israel. <clears throat> and they built a gold-covered shrine called the Dome of the Rock on the site of the ruined temple. The Romans had pulled it down and the Muslims built their own shrine and a, uh, and a, a mosque there. And so now Christians and Jews and Muslims are all claiming that Jerusalem is a holy city. Over the centuries, heavy taxation caused many Christians and Jews to become Muslim. Um, so there was a different rate. If you were Muslim, you paid a certain rate of tax. If you were a Christian or a Jew, you paid a much higher rate. And the, the, the tax was um, quite uh, heavy. And so many people uh, over the centuries converted to Islam. And so after a few centuries, Israel became a Muslim-majority country. So the demographics had changed. Now, under Islamic law, <clears throat> a land which has ever been ruled by Muslims can never be handed back to Islamic rule. 
and the Muslims over, ruled over the, the land for 13 centuries. And they expect that Islam will ultimately uh, rule the land. This is uh, teaching within the Quran and also in the Hadith. And when you talk with Muslims, they'll often talk about this. This is the expectation that Islam will rule the world. Many of the Jews who were there um, moved to other countries and they were persecuted there, both by Christians and Muslims. They've had a terrible, if you read the history of the Jewish nation, it's been a, a pretty sad and, and disastrous one that they've, they've had. And eventually they wanted to have a safe place of their own. And so in the 1800s, some decided to move back to Israel and they began buying plots of land in there. There had been Jews there all the way through. It wasn't as though it was ever completely devoid of Jewish people. Some had remained there through all the centuries. They hadn't converted to Christianity. They hadn't converted to Islam. They had remained faithful Jews. But now more Jews started to move in from other parts of the world because they wanted a safe place to avoid the persecution. But in the First World War, maybe I'm too fast there. Um, yeah, in the First World War, the Muslims sided with the Germans and they lost. And so the, the British took over the land under a, a mandate from initially the League of Nations, which became the United Nations. And so more Jews started to come. It was no longer ruled by Muslims. More Jews started to move back into the land. And uh, the uh, Arab Muslims often opposed them. They didn't want them to come in there, but often they sold them land, so the land was purchased. During uh, World War II, oh, I should have pressed that one earlier. <laughs> During uh, World War II, the Holocaust took place in which six million Jews were killed by the Nazis. Oh, I should still be there. Can let me do that. No. Six million Jews were killed by the Nazis and Europeans and, and many throughout the world began to feel sorry for the Jews and they supported this move to, to Jerusalem, uh, to Israel. Sorry, it had been going on uh, since the 1800s, so it had been going on for 50, 60 years. And so the, um, um, the Jews began to move in in larger numbers. But the Palestinians who were, were Arabs, mostly Muslim, but there were some Christians, so some Christians also remained faithful uh, to, their, uh, to their religion throughout these centuries, even though it was ruled by Islam for many centuries. They didn't like the Jews moving into the land, and so they began fighting with them. And so we now see this new wave of immigrants coming in in relatively large numbers, and the, the people who said, this is our land, we've been here for centuries, were trying to uh, limit them, repel them, and whatever. The British who'd been put in charge of this mess eventually got tired of refereeing the fights. There was, it was a terrible time throughout this from the 1920s to the 1940s. They handed the situation over to the United Nations and said, you created this mess, you look after it. The United Nations had only recently been formed, uh, it changed from the League of Nations to the United Nations, and they decided that they would split the land into two parts. And they said, here is a part for the Jews and here is a part for, uh, for the Arabs, um, including the Christians. The Jews agreed to this, um, but the Palestinians refused. to refuse. They said, no, no, this is our land, you can't just take it off and give it to other people. The Jews proclaimed the State of Israel as a new nation in 1948 
And for dispensationalist Christians, this was a really important thing. They said this is the fulfilment of prophecy because now the Jewish people are back in the land. Now they can rebuild the temple and they look at some promises in the Old Testament about rebuilding the temple and some verses in the New Testament which suggest that was okay. Then they will become Christians and then Jesus will return. So this then becomes an important part of human history, a really pivotal thing that people had been waiting for. But for covenant Christians, for the, the group too, they say, no, this was just a political event. The Jews needed a safe place to live, and that was good. They moved into Israel, and that's good. But this will not necessarily affect the return of Jesus. So you have these two, again, the two camps uh, rising up. But for the Arabs, this was a disaster. They didn't want the Jews living in their land. And so the day after Israel declared itself as a, as a new nation, the Arabs attacked. Not just the Arabs in Palestine, but from all of the lands around them. They were attacked on every side. They thought that they could destroy the Jews uh, and get rid of them. Unfortunately for them, the Jews were very good fighters. They, um, they didn't actually have a very strong history of doing that. In the Second World War, they were the victims, but now they said, this is enough. And their term is, never again. We're never going to be put into that situation. Again, within 10 months, the Jews had not only driven back the invading Arab soldiers, they had also occupied a whole lot of the Palestinian territory which the United Nations had given to the Palestinian people, including half of Jerusalem, which was supposed to be an independent international city that was uh, ruled by, the, by uh, the UN. The Palestinians were forced out and 700,000 of, of them became refugees and some of their descendants still live in refugee camps today, hoping to return to their homes. And I visited some of these camps in, uh, uh, in different parts of the world, in places like Syria and Palestine and other places. But at the same time, a million Jews who were living in, in Arab countries were also expelled. So they also became refugees. So 700,000 Palestinians became refugees. A million Jews also became refugees. And most of them went and settled in Jerusalem. They now had more land that they had occupied. And so they, they moved back into, uh, moved into Israel. <coughs> the Palestinians continued to fight. Um, is that doing what it should? Yep. The Palestinians continued to fight against the Jews using terror tactics like suicide bombers um, and rock throwing. And the Jews responded quite strongly. They killed um, and arrested Palestinians. They destroyed their homes so they would blow up the homes, a tactic which they learnt from the British. And then they began building Jewish settlements in the Palestinian areas. So the United Nations designated areas, the Jews started moving in and building um, uh, settlements in there. In 1967, the Six-Day War, the Arabs decided to attack the Jews again. And again, not just the people inside Palestine, but from all of the nations around them. We've got Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, Lebanon. They moved in and the, again, the Jews defeated them and they took um, even more territory. Rather than defeating the Jews, the Jews expanded their territory. Eventually, you can see in the, bottom, the diagram in the bottom right-hand side, they handed most of it back. They took great parts of Egypt, but they also handed it back to them. 
But the Palestinians still don't accept the right of the Jews to be in the land and most Palestinian groups such as Hamas are dedicated to eradicating the Jews. They've written this in their charter. Our, one of our roles is to completely destroy the Jews, not just to drive them out of the land but to kill them. And so in October, uh, on October the 7th, Hamas sent 1,500 fighters from Gaza, a Palestinian area down in the south uh, western corner into Israel to kill and kidnap as many Jews as they could. 1,200 people were killed in that day, in fact it was probably only a morning, and 240 were kidnapped as hostages and taken back into Gaza. Hamas has been using its own people as uh, yeah. Um, as human shields and they won't allow them to leave the areas where Hamas fighters are hiding. So rather than um, Israel, when they went back in to try and search for the Hamas fighters, they found large um, uh, uh, numbers of civil, civ citizen population living there. And so they went in, they attacked Gaza in an attempt to capture and kill the um, Hamas soldiers and to drive them out. Oops, those figures are a little bit old. I should have changed that slide. The, Israel says it's now dropped 22,000 bombs on, uh, on uh, Gaza and they claim to have killed about 9,000 um, Hamas soldiers. But Hamas says the bombs have killed 22,000 citizens. So it's about the same, same number of citizens as there are bombs. They don't discriminate between um, citizens and military. 22,000 includes their soldiers as well. And so we see these horrifying pictures each night of bombed houses and Gazan women and children who've been killed or wounded as a result of these bombings. In the last week or so, it's actually decreased, um, so there's been less bombing happening. Now, one of the rules of law... Oops. So the people of Gaza have been living through this for a hundred days. One of the rules of law is that citizens, that is non-soldiers, should be protected as much as possible. Um, Israel tries to do this by warning people to leave before the bombs are dropped. They, uh, they drop um, uh, flyers like this one over and they also text people and phone people saying, your building is going to be bombed, you've got five minutes or ten minutes, get out. And that's why the, um, the death toll's been relatively low for those bombs you can see can destroy a 12-storey build, uh, building um, and typically one person is being killed for each bomb that gets dropped. So there's been a lot, but still um, 22,000 um, people have been killed. So the fighting goes on and it looks like it will continue for some time, thinking maybe um, all, all the way through to the end of this year. In God's sight, every life is precious, whether it's Jewish or Christian or Muslim. <coughs> every person is someone who's been created in his image and every life is precious and we need to keep that in mind. The United Nations has called for a ceasefire um, by Israel, but the Jews say that Hamas must release all their hostages first. They're still holding about 130 hostages, I think. Some were released in the early days. Um, and so you've still got, um, you've got this kind of, it looks like it's 
uh, in difficult, um, impossible to resolve. And the situation won't be resolved until both sides recognise the right of the other side to exist. There are about, I think, uh, eight, 8 million Jews and about 10 million Palestinians living in the land. Neither of them is going to disappear overnight. They need to work out a way to uh, live um, and live side by side. Well, is there a solution? I think there is. Jesus lived in a time um, in Israel when it was an occupied country. It was occupied by the Romans uh, and Jesus was a Jew. And amongst the 12 disciples that Jesus chose, one of them was Simon. Simon hated the Romans. He was a zealot. They were a group of terrorists who had decided to drive out the Romans by killing them. And they'd been carrying on their guerrilla warfare because the Romans were much more powerful than they were. And one of their members joined the Twelve. Another apostle was Matthew. Matthew worked for the Romans. Matthew was a collaborator. He worked with the invading power. He took money from the Jews to give to the Romans. So he was quite happy. He was doing quite well out of having the Romans there. So these two men, Simon and Matthew, should have been natural enemies. They disagreed completely on how life should be and what they should be doing. But Jesus is someone who changes hearts. He freed Simon from this life of hatred and violence to one of going out and peacefully preaching the gospel. He freed Matthew from this life of greed and exploiting his own people to one of serving them. And Jesus can change hearts and he does change hearts. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the one who broke down the, the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. Remember, this is just as much a Muslim-Jewish war as it is a, um, an ethnic law, war. And Jesus calls for his uh, followers to be, de uh, to be peacemakers. <clears throat> so there's two important things that we can do. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, and he calls us to do that. First of all, we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the Jews, we pray for the Muslims, we pray for the Palestinian Christians. About 8% of the people uh, living in Israel uh, would be Christian. We also need to take the gospel of peace to people, to Jews and Muslims, so Jesus can transform their hearts. A political solution is important, but it will only go so far. It needs the heart transformation before all of the hate uh, and the fear will be overcome. So Jesus is their only hope. Um, Jesus is the hope of the world, and that's something that we can all agree on, whether we're, uh, whichever group we belong to, that Jesus is the one, uh, he is the answer, he's the one that we call on. Thank you very much. <laughs>